0: So let's look at another giant today. I'm going to close out this series on disarming your giants, which has been a wonderful series. God's really blessed it. CDs have gone everywhere. Uh, Really the impact of it. I keep getting feedback even weeks after a certain message. uh, Had a woman today grab me and say, I've listened to that one on the giant of anxiety four times. We've dealt with Giants that every person deals with. And today I know I'm talking about a giant. Many of you have dealt with, are dealing with, or will deal with. And that's the giant of depression. Now let's just read one of the well-known Psalms. I want you to read with me. It's not very long. But I want you to notice who David is talking to. He's talking to himself. He's telling himself what to do. He's commanding his soul to trust God. So let's read it together. Can we? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. He's saying, I may feel down, I may be blue, but I'm not staying here. I'm telling my soul to hope in God. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now for for lifting off of us any kind of a spirit of depression or a heavy spirit, a spirit of gloom. uh, Lord, that shadowy thing that creeps up on us where we don't know why, we just don't feel much joy. Lord, I pray that those who are in that slough of despond that John Bunyan wrote about, that despondency will be lifted up by the word of God that is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. That, Lord, you would send your word and heal them today. Not only those here, but those watching by live streaming and our friends by radio. That, Lord, they will be lifted out and given the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And we thank you for it. Now, can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, I receive this word speak to my heart in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. We'll turn to your neighbor and tell him, "Don't be gloomy, God's with you." Amen. Now, talking about the giant of depression. The giant of depression, I really believe is a spirit. And and I want you to notice that Jesus, it says of Jesus in Isaiah 61, that one of the reasons or one of the manifestations of the anointing that would be on his life would be to give us joy instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. So clearly Jesus was anointed to lift off of us a depressed spirit, an oppressed spirit, a gloomy spirit the blues. I don't know why people listen to the blues. I fight the blues enough without listening to it. Amen. Amen. Now, I hope I'm going to share some stats with you about depression and I hope it doesn't depress you, but here they are. Some of these really blew me away. Depression, how real is it? And how much is it coming upon America? Well, nearly 19 million Americans or about 10% of us, age 18 or over, are going to suffer some form of depression every year. Not in life, but in every year, annually. One in 10. I personally believe it's higher because of things I'm reading. But let's just say one in 10. That is 10% of 350 million people are going to deal with depression once a year. Everybody, at some time in their life is gonna be affected by depression either by your own or by someone near you. Somebody close to you gets depressed, it's going to affect you. And depression affects a lot of households right now. Now, here's a shocker. This really shocked me. And it made me not depressed, but sad. Preschoolers, now we're talking kindergarten. Preschoolers are the fastest growing market for antidepressants. Can you imagine saying to little Johnny and little Susie, Um, Hey, did you take your antidepressant today? But it's happening. Over one million preschoolers are clinically depressed. Now, the Bible says the curse without a cause shall not come. There is a reason for that. And I personally believe it's the direction our nation is going, the way we put God out of the schools, and that's another whole message. But if you take God out of people's lives and give them no hope... No vertical relationship with a transcendent God, it leads to depression. And these children are in homes that are in turmoil, and they have nowhere to turn. So there's one million preschoolers clinically depressed. The annual rate of increase, think about this, rate of increase for depression among children is 23%. Depression results in more absenteeism than almost any other physical disorder for employers. It costs employers, that is depression, more than $51 billion per year in absenteeism and lost productivity. Depression is a huge job killer, productivity killer, money killer. All right, that's enough depressing stats. I could have given you a whole lot more, but I was getting depressed reading them. Okay, so let's look at some of the more Common causes of depression. Where does depression come from? How do you experience depression? How do you fall prey to it? Well, one way is physical weariness. This is a big one. We just get worn down and worn out. We get tired. We get stressed. We get weary and we succumb to depression. Remember Elijah when Queen Jezebel sent a message after he had killed all the prophets of Baal and called fire out of heaven? She said, I'm going to do the same thing to you. You did to them. You will be dead by tomorrow night. And Elijah hit the road. He began to run and he ran way into the wilderness. And when he was way deep in the wilderness, he found a juniper tree, got under the juniper tree and said this, prayed this to God. Is enough, Lord? Now take my life. Now when you're asking God to kill you, newsflash, you're depressed. Okay? Okay? Illness is another reason, particularly prolonged illness of one kind or another. How often when we get sick and we can't seem to get over it, can't seem to get better, and it just lingers and carries on, that we are prone to, to isolate and to become depressed about it. David knew exactly what this felt like. And he talked about it in Psalms 88:15. He said, from the time I was a youth, I have been afflicted and I have been close to death. Because of the severity of the affliction. He said, I have suffered your terrors, God, and I'm in despair. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. Listen to this depressing statement. The darkness is my closest friend. Another news flash. If darkness is your closest friend, you're depressed. Okay? Thank God for his his transparency and honesty in the Psalms. Sense of loss can bring depression. As we age, and all of us in here are aging, you say amen or oh me? We're all aging. You're older than you were yesterday. Look in, don't look in the mirror for a week and then look. It's shocking. <sighs> <laughs> Kathy and I were talking. I probably shouldn't say this. We were talking on the way to church last night, and she had gotten her hair done, and it looks very pretty today. And I said, Kathy, what would happen if women could not get to any kind of beautician or makeup or anything for three months? She said, all of you men would be in shock. (laughs) Lord, don't let persecution come. Don't let it happen. (laughs) Now, as we age, we really do, we begin to experience regrets. If only I had this, if only I had that. If I hadn't this, if I hadn't that. If I hadn't let this go or that go, or if I'd taken that opportunity instead of this one, it would be different. And we, you begin to slip into depression over things that you have missed. Your, your physical vitality isn't the same anymore. You've lost some relationships that you may not be able to get back. And that loss can bring depression. And there's other things like your surroundings. I believe this is very real. Your environment, your circumstances, where you spend most of your time. It can be a a place where you are employed. And the people there are godless. They tell dirty jokes, have foul mouths. And you have to listen to it. And it's gloomy and it's depressing. And you deal with it and you struggle with it. And you say with lot uh, uh, that your righteous soul is vexed every day by the filthy conversation of the wicked. And I can understand that. And those of you that are in work environments like that, my heart goes out to you and I pray for you. And and God is with you there. He'll help you. But even the weather can bring depression. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, who lived in London and pastored in London, used to write, he wrote voluminously about the the weather in London, how often the winters were so bitter and always overcast. And there was always that ever-present London fog And he said, as for me, because he was inclined to depression, this great preacher struggled with depression. He had two afflictions, gout and depression. The gout left him in physical pain a great deal, and the depression took him down a lot, where he would actually miss whole church services because he couldn't make it for the gout and depression. And he said, sometimes I have to get in the horse and buggy and leave town and go where the sun is shining because the weather depresses me. Here's another one that'll give you depression. Stinking thinking. Stinking thinking will definitely bring you into depression. There are some people, you can't put a smile on their face. They are gloom and doom from head to toe. And if you tell them something good, they're going to make it into something bad in two minutes or less. Ever been around somebody like that? Are you married to somebody like that? Don't look, look up here. You married to somebody like that? The way we look at things. The way we view life. The lens out of which we look at circumstances in life can bring depression. Some of us see life only through a negative lens. Pessimism. Everything is wrong. We're unhappy about everything. Nothing makes us happy. We're not content with anything. And it vexes you and it vexes the people around you. It's the stinking thinking. The only way to get out of it is to have your mind renewed and admit to God, Lord, I'm sinking through stinking thinking. Now, I just thought of that on the spot. You ought to give God praise for that. (laughs) I'm sinking through stinking thinking. (laughs) Now, another thing that'll give you depression is sin in your life. Listen carefully to me, child of God. Uh, The children of God Have been born again, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, one thing we cannot do is allow the vertical relationship with God that we have to be broken in any extended way by sin that is unconfessed. Because when we sin and we don't confess it and, and put it under the blood, it cuts off that vertical relationship and it opens the door for the enemy to come into our life. I think of David who committed terrible sin, awful. Not only the adultery with Bathsheba, But then he orchestrated the heinous death of her husband, Uriah, to cover up his own sin. And do you know that for a whole year, he did not repent? He carried adultery and murder in his heart for a whole year and did not repent. Do you know what that would do to a child of God? He wrote about it. He told us what it did. And you talk about depression. Listen to this. Psalms 32, verse 3. When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. Groaning all day. The pressure never let up. My strength was dried up as in the hot summertime. I had no strength. I had no peace. I felt like I had some kind of a disease. It was killing me. It was depressing me. But then we know that he finally confessed his sin And was restored to God. And as soon as he was, as soon as he got that vertical relationship right, the joy of the Lord returned. That's why he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation, Lord. The joy returned when he got it right. There's one last thing that will bring depression, and that's spiritual warfare. And that is when the enemy tries to put it on you. Now, I'm going to suggest something to you today. The Bible says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, a pneuma, a real spirit of fear. So it's a spirit. Fear can be a spirit. And I believe also depression can be. Say, where do you get that? I get it from the Bible. Isaiah 61. Did it not say of Jesus he would give us the oil of joy for mourning and garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness? So sometimes we're in a warfare and the enemy wants us depressed because guess what? Depressed people don't win anybody to Jesus. See, if that's what God did to you, I don't want it. Do you know what the greatest billboard is in the world? A smiling, happy, joyous Christian. That is that is God's greatest billboard is your face when you're smiling and you have the joy of the Lord. That's, that's God's, that's a flashing neon billboard. He what where did you get all that joy? Why are you so happy? Well, it's the joy of the Lord, and it's my strength. Okay? So the enemy comes against us to take away our joy. He will do anything to turn a joyful Christian into a sour one. That's, that's warfare. So now, in light of these things, how do you climb out of the blues in a biblical way? How, how do you use this book that the Bible says you will know this truth and it will make you free? You will know the truth and it will make you free. He sent his word and healed them, the Bible says. Well, the greatest model that I could find in the whole Bible is the Lord Jesus himself and the way that he came out of depression when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Isn't that amazing? Now, listen carefully. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was engaged in the greatest spiritual warfare of his life. There's no question in my mind that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the warfare was more intense than it had been in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil before he started his ministry. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's mere hours away from the very reason he came to the earth. Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to die on the cross. If he didn't die on the cross, we're not here today. We're not redeemed. We're still in our sins. We're lost and going to hell. We're separated from God forever. But because He went on to the cross, we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are filled with His Spirit. The owner or the mark of ownership is upon us, living within us, the Holy Spirit Himself. We are not hell bound, but heaven bound. We have been delivered from death, hell, and the grave. The devil has been defanged. Jesus is coming back one day. And so the battle to keep him from that was intense. Gethsemane was the deciding moment for Jesus. Would he be obedient all the way to the cross or would he find a way to escape? Out of his own mouth, he told them, I could have called on 12 legions of angels and they would have come and whisked me out of there. But he didn't. But let me tell you something, church. The Bible is abundantly clear that in his struggle, Jesus was depressed. Saying, oh, the Lord wasn't depressed, Pastor Jeff. Oh, yes, he was. Listen to a few of the different Bible translations describing the Lord's state of mind in Gethsemane. Mark 14, one translation says, He, Jesus, began to be deeply distressed and troubled. The Message Bible says, Jesus plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. The Phillips translation, which is a great translation, says, Jesus began to be horror-stricken and desperately depressed. That's Jesus. You say, like, it ain't a sin to be depressed? No. He didn't stay there. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. It's not a sin to struggle, struggle against depression. But did he experience that gloom, that heaviness, that depression in the Garden of Gethsemane? Absolutely. Now, the author and finisher of our faith, I'm glad to tell you, did not stay there. He did not remain there. He is our model. He is our our hero. He is our example on how to come out of depression into joy. So, what did he do? Let's look at what Jesus did. How did he model for us coming out of depression? The first thing I noticed, he did not isolate himself. Now, one of the marks of depression is you isolate. When you get depressed, you you go in some room, you turn off all the lights, you shut the door, you make it clear to everybody around you, don't come in here. You either sit in a chair or you lay down in the bed, and there you are for hours on end, and you don't come out because you are depressed. And one of the real dangers about that is when you isolate, you're open to all kinds of thoughts that can lead to worse things. So I want you to notice what Jesus, our model, did. Then Jesus, it says in Matthew 26, 36, Jesus went with his disciples, with his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. Now listen to this. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and then he began to be sorrowful and troubled. The operative word there is he took. He intentionally took someone with him into his sorrow. What did he do? He refused to isolate. Our Savior was very wise. He didn't try to win the battle with depression all by himself. Now, we know that it was this intense that he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood as he considered what he was about to encounter. Blood came out of his pores. And I've read stories, medical stories, where this has happened rarely, but has happened in history, and it happened with Jesus. He was under such a heavy weight, such a heavy burden that he sweated as it were great drops of blood. And he said, I know what's about to happen to me. I'm God. He was never surprised by anything. And since I know what I'm about to experience, I'm taking someone with me. I'm not going to isolate. And sometimes when you know somebody depressed and they're shutting everybody out, sometimes you just need to open the door and say, like it or not, I'm coming in here. You might as well just turn on the light and say hello to me. Because I'm your friend and I love you enough to sit here with you. And we're going to walk through this together. And that's what the body of Christ is all about. Amen. Amen. He let others in. Peter, James, and John. On the sorrow and grief he was experiencing that night, he let friends in. Now, too often, we Christians, we imprison ourselves in isolation. Because here's what we say. If I say I'm depressed, then I'm going to be accused of not having any faith. They're going to say, you don't have any faith. And they're not going to think much of me if I say, I'm. and I know what I'm going to hear. Well, brother, you just need to praise the Lord. Or you just need uh, this, that, or the other. Get out of it. Come on, snap out of it. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And, and it's not going to help, so I'm not going to tell anybody. Because I don't want anybody thinking less of me. But do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, share each other's burdens. King James says, bear one another's burdens and in this way you're obeying the law of Christ. It is a law of our savior to invite others into our burdens and pain. It's the law of Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Peter, James, John, come on. Come with me to the garden. So he didn't isolate. I like this next thing. I noticed this. He didn't fake his feelings. He wasn't phony baloney. He wasn't fraudulent when he talked about the way he felt. When you ask Jesus as he was headed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Hey, how are you, Lord? He didn't say, well, I'm prosperous, blessed, and highly favored. Now, there's nothing wrong with that statement. And there's nothing wrong with a good statement of faith. But you know what? Sometimes we need to be real. And people say that to me, and sometimes I want to say, that's just great, good. You're prosperous, and you're highly favored. Now, how do you really feel? Well, that left a holy hush on the congregation. But let me tell you, Jesus told the truth about his feelings. Listen to this. How many people would say this? He told his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Wow. I'm about to die from this sorrow. I'm under so much sorrow it's about to kill me. Does that sound like a statement of faith to you? No it was honesty, honesty with those who knew him. And then he said, you better stay here and keep watch with me because this is heavy. This is strong. I'm really under it. And folks, listen, let me just pull the veil away for a moment. Sometimes we in the church are exactly in this place. We know exactly what this feels like. I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point I feel like I'm going to die. Who can I go to? Who can I tell? I better not tell church folks because they won't think I have any faith. No, you ought to tell church folks because then they can pray for you. Then they can help you. Jesus told the truth about his feelings. Now, if anybody could have said, well, I'm I'm a son of God. And I'm never going to tell my disciples that I'm under this kind of a load. No, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus told them the truth. And I want you to notice something. He used wisdom about who he shared the deepest stuff with. He first told the 12. He told all 12 of them, you know, I'm under a real burden here, guys. But he took Peter, James, and John off aside. And he was wise who he cast his pearls in front of. And he said to Peter, James, and John, I'm closest to you guys. Jesus had his seventy. He had his 12. He had his three. Peter, James, and John are the ones he took to the top of Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were his closest inner three. It was to them he said, listen, this is about to kill me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to stand with me. I need you to kneel with me. I need you to stay right here with me. Don't leave me. I need you. Can you believe the son of the living God was that transparent? So if he got there, we can sure get there, can't we? Now, the third thing I see is he was not only honest with those around him, but he was honest with God. It says in Matthew 26, 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. Listen to this prayer. My father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, what struck me this week as I read this afresh and anew was the brutal honesty he was exercising with God. He said, why was that so brutally honest, Pastor Jeff? Here's what he was saying. He knew he was born to die. He knew he came to die on the cross. But he was literally telling God, if there's any way out of this, Show me, and I'll take it. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If there's any way out of this, show me, and I'll take it. That's honesty. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm here for this reason, but wow, I don't want to do this. Because I know the suffering, and I know for a brief moment I'm going to be separated from you My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my groaning? So he was honest with God, honest with others, and he refused to isolate. Now, that's the first three things that Jesus did, but I saw that there's more. I also noticed that he didn't get trapped by bitterness or fall into the blame game. Now, you say, well, Pastor Jeff, where would he have gotten bitter or fallen into some kind of a blame game? Because it says, when he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping, sleeping, his men, his inner three, sleeping, he said, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? You've seen me walk on water. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me feed the multitudes. You've seen me cleanse lepers, open blind eyes and deaf ears. You can't sit with me for one hour in my darkest midnight hour. Can you hear the pathos in that? Can you hear the hurt, the the disappointment? I do. But guess what he didn't do? Even though his closest friends failed him, not only did he keep on going in his journey to come out of the Depression and come out of Gethsemane and go to the cross, but he prayed for the very disciples who had failed him. Now, let me tell you what you can't do. You can't stay bitter at somebody if you're praying for them. And that's hard to do. You want to pray against them. You want God to vaporize them. <laughs> and, but to pray for their well-being is something only the Spirit of God can enable you to do. But Jesus did it. And once again, he's our model. Here, his closest inner three had failed him. His best friends on earth failed him. But the Bible says in John 17, the longest Recorded prayer in the Bible is John 17. is Jesus praying. And the vast majority of it is he's praying for his disciples. And guess when the prayer was made? In the depths of his depression is when he prayed this prayer. When he was depressed. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The last thing I feel like doing when I'm depressed is pray. I just want to sit there. Leave me alone. I don't want to pray. Just leave me be. But our model, Jesus Christ said, even though I'm experiencing this gloom, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray for those who have failed me. And I'm not going to point the finger or get bitter or play the blame game. I'm not going to blame others for where I am. I'm not going to blame others for what has happened to me. Where where I am is where I am. And I trust God and I'm going to him. But I'm not going to blame another human being. Because as long as we blame others, we never come out. So he prayed. And then I see something else. Not only did he pray, but he prayed through until strength came from God. Matthew 26, verse 42 and 44. Watch Jesus and how he refused to quit praying. It says he went away a second time. Now, that means he went to the disciples, found them asleep, said to them what he said while they were still sleeping. Then he went back into the place of prayer so he did not let his disillusionment with others stop him from seeking God. Did anybody hear that just now? See, I see people blame others for leaving church and getting away from God. I say, I'm not going to seek the Lord anymore. I'm not going to read the Bible anymore. But not Jesus. His inner three let him down. But he said, I'm going back to the place of prayer. I'm going to go pray again. And he said... A second time, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. But then he went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Now, let me ask you a question today. If Jesus had to pray three separate times in persevering prayer and intercessory prayer to get the answer he needed, where does that leave us? I heard somebody say, if you pray for something more than once, then you don't have faith. Then Jesus had no faith. Because Jesus prayed three times. He went back, and he went back, and he went back. His men asleep, he went back. His men asleep on the second time, he went back. Three times when the world was failing him, his friends were failing him, he went back into the place of prayer, and he prayed through. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, how do I know when I've prayed through? When you're through. You know you prayed through when you're through. And how do you know you're through? When the answer has broken through. The Bible says, suddenly, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Oh, listen, church. Jesus could have gone down in depression. He could have said, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do it. I'm checking out. I'm calling on those angels to come get me out of here. I'm not going to do it. No. Jesus, in spite of disappointments, disillusionments, hindrances among his friends, Jesus stayed with it, the depression sitting on him, the blood coming out of his pores. He kept praying until the angel of God broke through and strengthened him, just like the angel strengthened Elijah under the juniper tree, and he ran many, many, many miles in the strength of that angel's touch. Sometimes you and I just have to pray through. We don't understand why the answer doesn't come the first time or the second time or even the third time. But sometimes we just have to pray through until something happens, knowing that God is listening every time. And I don't know why the answer doesn't come immediately, but that's okay because Jesus didn't get an immediate answer either. He kept praying until the angel broke through. And if we keep on praying, God will direct us. God will show us. God will strengthen us. God will answer us. God will stand us up. God will rebuke the spirit of gloom off of us. Because we do not pray in vain. And I like this last thing that I see in this story of Jesus overcoming depression. Jesus got up and faced his trials in the strength of of God. He faced the giant. Matthew twenty six forty five. Then he returned to the disciples. That was after three times. And said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? That's okay. I've already forgiven you and prayed for you. I, I, I threw that in there. He says, then look, the hour is near. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Now, I want you to say the next word with me. That Jesus said, rise. Can we say it again? Rise. When you start rising, that means you are getting out of depression. Say it again. Rise. Jesus had arisen in the Garden of Gethsemane. He rose out of depression, rose out of disappointment, rose out of disillusionment, and faced the giant in the strength of God. So he said to them, rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. And right then, here comes Judas with the crowd. Judas walks up to him who had walked with him over three years, hugged him, kissed him. And then the soldier said, we're looking for the one who calls himself the son of God. And Jesus said, I am he. And they all fell flat on their faces. I want you to notice something. Those soldiers were totally put down by the power of God. They they were knocked to the ground by him simply saying, I am he. And if Jesus ever had a chance to run, that would have been it because the soldiers were disarmed by the power of God, but he did not do it. He didn't run from his problem. He didn't head for the hills and try to hide. He faced Judas. He faced the soldiers. He faced the cross. And it says for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame And has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And ever lives to make intercession for you and me. Thank God Jesus went all the way to the cross for us. And because of that, three days later, he rose from the dead. And I can't wait to preach it next Sunday and Saturday night. So can we stand together today? And I want you to say these simple steps with me. Let's repeat them. I've very much abbreviated them. Let's just say them together. Because if you're in depression or gloom, that heavy spirit is on you and you haven't been able to shake it. Let's let's go over the steps that Jesus took together. Say with me, don't isolate. Don't Don't be fake. Be honest with God. God. Don't Don't be bitter. Pray through. Face your trial in God's strength. The Bible says, I can do everything through him who strengthens me. Can we give him a hand of praise today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Now, can you bow with me for just a moment of prayer? If you're experiencing a heavy heart today, just haven't been able to function. You don't want to get going in the day. You feel down. You feel depressed, feel blue. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. Just raise your hand real good and high where I can see you. And it doesn't really matter so much as why it happened, but that's where you are. And I'm not going to call you down. I want to pray for you right here Lord, you see these hands. And Lord, those who don't have hands raised will one day deal with some level of this. And so, Lord, we come to you with that heavy spirit that you came to replace with a garment of praise. Now, say with me, say, Lord, I give to you this depression, this heavy spirit. And I ask you to take it off of me. I will do what I heard today. I will apply it because it was the word of God. Thank you. It will set me free in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, I thank you for binding this spirit. I thank you for... Lord, targeting the spirit of depression and gloom on your people, I thank you, Lord, that we know it didn't come from you. It did not come from you. You didn't put it on us. You gave us the Holy Spirit, and that's the only spirit you gave us. And so, Lord, we thank you that this spirit of gloom and depression is defeated by the blood of the Lamb, by the name of Jesus, by the Word of God, by the truth of Scripture. And, Lord, I thank you that those who are experiencing it are going to have a new skip in their step, a smile on their face, a gleam in their eyes, a joy in their heart, The Lord, this spirit of gloom and depression will lift, and we will be free to pray like we used to pray, and serve like we used to serve, and seek like we used to seek, and, Lord, witness like we used to witness. In Jesus' name. give him a hand of praise. One more time.